You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to the 602 Club. I'm so glad that you are here. Make sure that you know how to get to the chopper. Get to the chopper now. Come on. Come on. Do it now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to do it. Uh, I'm so... I am glad everybody start, has already turned off the show. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. 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 Uh, I'm, uh, of course, Matthew Rushing and with me as she is every week, single week here in the 602 Club, uh, Christy Morris. Hey, how's it going, Christy? Uh, I'm just over here buzzing with excitement because I can't wait to see what you thought of this movie yeah this is exciting because last week we talked about a movie that you hadn't seen yet and then this week we're talking about a movie that i haven't Mm -hmm. seen yet so this is really going to be a fun one and um we were able to coerce a friend uh here who is also in quarantine with us uh he uh well uh, he had to be on this show because he is another massive fan of this movie so welcome back to the 602 club john mills line from the movie He's dug in there like an Alabama tick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of how your butt is in the seat. Yeah, that's here. right. I have the Norm Peterson chair here at the 602 Club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yes. Oh, man, this is going to be fun uh, as we dive into Predator. Um, not any of the other Predator movies. We're talking about the one with Arnold all the way back there in 1987. And so strap in, hold on to your butts. It's going to be fun. Um, make sure you find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're over on Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating review. Uh, let people know what you think of the show. You want to make sure you're subscribed because that makes sure you get the show as soon as it drops. We're on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Uh, and then you can find us over on Trek.FM where there's a contact section as well where you can send Christy and I an email. Uh, and last but not least, I want to say huge thank you to our associate producers here, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah for supporting us through Patreon. Uh, they make sure that the 602 Club and all the other shows here come to you each and every week. Uh, and even in this time, um, we still definitely need your help to make sure all the shows here on the network can keep coming to you. Uh, we've got some great perks for you at different levels, but honestly... Especially in a time like this, every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm where you can be part of our team. Uh, So guys, I got through all that pretty quickly because I really wanted to hear from both of you. Christy, I know you're a massive fan of this movie. Uh, John, I know you are too. And so I really wanted to hear about your first hunts, like the the first time that you found this movie and, and what... I, I'm really interested, just like what has made you such a massive fan of this movie for all these years? So I'll start. Um, and I know I've probably said it a million times on the show, but this was another thing that my dad and I watched together. And it's crazy because on the rewatch again, I'm like, I forgot how bad some of the language and jokes were in this movie. And I 
Yeah, seriously. I, I think <laughs> maybe my dad muted it or skipped over that part when I was younger, but I, I think I saw it when I was probably like 10. So, All right. Uh, That's good parenting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Very cool. I, uh, I am, uh, as I was joking about before we, uh, before we opened the microphones, I, uh, I, I saw this on VHS videotape thanks to my brother uh, having access to the video club membership. And uh, the agreement was you can watch it if you don't tell mom and dad I let you. Sure thing, <laughs> bro. You got it. And this Predator is part of just that late 80s spate of movies that just blew your mind. Like the action genre gets reinvented. At this time period, Aliens comes out in 86, mm -hmm. Predator comes out in 87, you got Die Hard, you got Hunt for Red October, you have, like, there is this glut of just incredible action movies where they just do so many incredible things with the format, and Predator was one of those ones, because it's such a gear shift movie, of going from that sort of stereotypical machismo sort of thing into what amounts to a slasher flick. Because you have a whole bunch of friends, and they're isolated, and then they have this unstoppable killer coming after them, and then you have your main hero character, who's the one that figures out the cheat code, and it's just like, it's it, it takes everything that's great about horror and action franchises. That's why I love it. I gr agree with you on that, too, John. Uh, for me it and my dad, it was the fact that it was different. It was in that sci-fi genre, but it also wasn't just, um, you know, like Lost in Space or something like that. Um, it was more horror-ish, but it was just enough that I could still deal with, especially as a 10-year-old. Um and, and I just always thought that the Predator character was incredible because of all of the different things it could do and its purpose. Um, so, yeah. It, and then since then, I um, have seen and loved all of the Predator cosplayers I've seen at conventions, especially Dragon Con every year. Um, so, yeah, that that's how it came around for me. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and the thing is, I, I know... Matt, I'm sorry, but, but like Christy and I are now in, the, in that back and forth sort of thing. But like <laughs> just the design of the Predator character, that moment when you finally get to see its face is every time I watch it, goosebumps. It's mm -hmm. like because that is such an iconic design. It's as iconic as the alien. It's as iconic as, as Pinhead or Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger or anything like that. The, the moment that mask comes off, I can still remember seeing it for the first time and going, what the F is that, right? <laughs> like, that was such a crazy design for that face. And and the fact that it almost didn't look like that. Like, it's such a testament to getting the design right. Because it, it, it all, it's one of those things where it's like, I never would have come up with that design, uh, especially as a kid. But, like, you don't, you don't necessarily come up with that design. Well, I hope yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but once you see it, you're like, how else could it have looked? That's yeah. how the predator has to look. And it's so per like just the, the way that the fangs work and the mouth is so different. It's it's just taking that really familiar sort of bone structure and just doing something really crazy different with one part of it. And it, like the eyes are in the right place, the nose is in the right place, the ears are in the right place. It has mm -hmm. oh my God, what's going on with the mouth? Like it's just crazy. Yeah, my sister and I even have a running joke that I was telling Matt. I have a picture of uh, where we would make the face with our fingers and we'd <laughs> open them up and. Yep. 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 What's funny is this is what Star Trek wishes Nausicans looked like, because <laughs> like, they're yeah. very similar in some yep. ways. But it was really interesting because you know, for me, my first hunt <laughs> for this movie was 
the other day. Uh, I I had never seen this before, and it's just one of those movies where, you know, by the time it came out, it was on VHS and stuff. You know, it was was this was not a movie my parents were going to let me watch at that point. Um, uh, my parents were not as cool as <laughs> and so. Uh, I just, it was one of those that just kind of fell by the wayside and, and I missed. Um, and you know, I'm not necessarily a huge, like, uh, John, you kind of mentioned that idea that it kind of turns into a slasher fic and those kind of things. So it, that's not really my genre, but you know, Christy, when you mentioned, because we had so many movies leave the schedule right now, mm-hmm. uh, because of what we're going through, uh, you were like, I love this movie. Let's talk about this. It's like, yeah, I've never watched it. Let's do it. You know? So, uh, this is one of those things where I love, um, being able to go back and watch something that I've never seen before and just check it out and like try and like, I don't really have necessarily any preconceptions about what it's going to be for the most part. I don't. I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other about the movie even before it begins. And so it's just turn it on and let's see how this goes. And, you know, I have to say for me, my first time watching this movie, I was actually I'm just going to spoil it. I'm really impressed. The fact that this movie, for the most part, stands the test of time in, in the sense that obviously there's some cheesy 80s stuff to it. You know, there's some of that in there, but for the most part, this movie just kind of feels like the effects still work. Um, I think the characterizations are still pretty good for the most part. Um, you may have some jokes in there that might not be there now, you mm-hmm. know, sure, um, that kind of thing. But other than that, I mean, this movie just really, it, it, it's obviously a, a part of its time, like, the, you know, Vietnam was not that long ago for these guys. You know, that's that's where they all, you know, mm-hmm. cut their teeth. Um, but then, you know, the, the rest of this movie, I mean, it just doesn't feel all that abnormal. And I mean, you know, having trouble in, you know, Central or South America is not unheard of even now. So it's like this is the kind of stuff that you could feel like you can really watch this movie. I feel like any time and it, 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 it's not timeless, but it doesn't feel so bound by time because they really... Uh, you know, tied it to geopolitical uh, events that were, you know, specifically like you have to have the 80s. Like, I, I just, again, it's just something I just really impressed by. So, yeah, I hate to spoil that, but yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie for sure. Well, I, I think that it's very important that what makes it timeless is that they drop them in the jungle in a place where you're not, the, the big hurdle now, always is you look back at a movie from the 70s or the 80s and you think oh cell cell phone would have solved this problem or this app or this whatever type of technology we have now but the whole concept behind these guys going in on this mission is you're going in bare bones and you're on your own and you don't have a way to get out mm-hmm. so it's stru- right. that that's what really helps it be timeless is it's structured that way in terms of the humor i get it the humor is very crass, incredibly crass at the moments that it happens. But it really is one of those things that I think is is fascinating to think about in terms of what we have, how our focus has shifted, because it's sort of like when Fleming wrote James Bond originally, Bond wasn't a good, he wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't a good person. You, you wouldn't want to hang out with James Bond, mm-hmm. right? He was, he was kind of a bastard. And so these guys are basically professional hitmen 
and we're just happy they're on our side. If they were not, if these guys were not on this military team, they most likely would be in prison for having murdered people. And so when they have their jokes, it's, it's sort of in that context of, well, okay, these aren't the greatest, nicest people in the world. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they're good people. I'm, I'm just saying, like, it's understandable for guys who, for people who are constantly under that type of pressure and danger that some of the social niceties that we would like them to have get stripped away because the only world that they know is their group of friends. And so they can talk to them in an incredibly harsh and crass way because that's just, you know, it, it's almost like a, it's almost like the shorthand that, um, you know, longtime friends or a brother or two brothers could have where it's like to an outsider, you might say like, wow, that is, that is really harsh. Why would you say that? But it's really just because you've known the person for decades. And so it's just like, you know, you can throw an offhand comment that would offend the hell out of anybody else, but that person's going to take it. You know, that's a good point. That's something that uh, I found was really interesting about this movie um, because just the mission itself that they're on um, that one of the things that I kind of loved about this movie is that, you know, the main character Dutch who's played by Schwarzenegger, you know, he, he, he tells them, look, we're, we're not a hit squad. We're not assassins. Like they're a rescue squad. That's their, that's their job, which is to, to go into, uh, you know, situations that nobody else can handle and and get people out, you know, uh, and uh, so I thought that that was really interesting because they are the world's best group of mercenaries, but their goal is not about like assassination or destroying third world governments or anything like that. They're there to rescue people, and I just thought, what an interesting um, way to set up this team because, like you were saying, John, these are guys who could possibly be on the wrong side of the law big time uh, if they were in another line of work. Uh, and yet they put their skills to use, but not to go out and murder people. Their goal is not to, to go in and, and like just uh, be a hit squad for hire. Um, but their goal is really to be the people that can go in and rescue lives. Like, and obviously they, they end up taking a lot of life in, in, in the meantime, you know, mm-hmm. but that th- their goal is, is not assassination. And I just thought that was a really interesting way to play these characters because I think, uh, it immediately sets them apart from a lot of those other eighties movies where the characters are just kind of like bloodthirsty, crazed weirdos, you know, like this is not. This is not Rambo mm-hmm. where like they really enjoy the the absolute carnage of everything. I didn't feel like uh, so I don't know. I just I, for for their mission to start off like that for and for them to admit that I thought that was just really fascinating. Uh, so uh, a great way to to immediately start uh, the film um, and kind of set this group apart. So and to set them up initially as like they're going to kind of be the good guys. Maybe they're not the greatest people, but they're there for a positive reason. Um, and that you know Dutch is going to stick up for them and be the leader. Except they end up getting duped, and it's crazy even to think about that a military group like that could end up in that situation to be tricked into doing something completely different than what they thought their purpose was. Well, I, I think that um, I think, Chrissy, you, you said earlier about about the Vietnam parallel or, or I, I mean, it's obviously there. 80s movies are very much about that sort of like 20 years later dealing with Vietnam in the rear view. Uh, Matt, you mentioned Rambo. 
you know, First Blood is about a Vietnam vet who comes back, and then Rambo First Blood Part Two is about a Vietnam vet who <laughs> starts the war up again and wins it for us. You know, like that whole thing. But there, there's definitely the shades of Vietnam that echo throughout this. And so I think that in twofold, one, Christy, what you're talking about in terms of the fact that they're duped, right? It's our mission wasn't supposed to be this. What What's going on? It really speaks to that mistrust of hierarchy and government that, you know, echoes through to this day of you lied to us. This isn't why we're supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. But there's also, I think, very much a shade of when they go to get uh, you know, when they go to, to that encampment and wreak havoc, there's very much shades of uh, me lie sort of thing because they've happened across three of their comrades. They don't know it's the predator that did it by this point, but three of them strung up and skinned. And so there's there's this echo right there of what do you think guys are going to do when they found three people from their own, you know, s- service members that have been brutally murdered and skinned. They, they uh one of them even says that ain't no way for a soldier to die. Mm-hmm. And so when they go in, you're primed. You're like, yeah, beat the hell out of everybody in there. Blow it all up. Destroy all of them. But then the whole lie comes back and bites them and plays into the idea that their real enemy is not who they thought they were going after. And, of course, it winds up being the predator. Yeah, I I really like the way that the movie kind of plays with that whole idea of that the real enemy is not the one you thought it was. Um, and, you know, even, you know, it, it's not Dylan and the government with the lie. It's something completely unknown and worse than you thought possible. I think that's really interesting to be playing with as an idea uh, for all of these characters. And, and of course, once they realize what they're dealing with, because, you know, it takes a really long time for most of them to accept that they are being hunted by something other. Right. Um, by something that is possibly not even human. I mean, and Dylan is the one it takes the longest to, to realize that until he finally, you know, makes contact visually and sees what's going on. And, and sees this this weird figure. So I thought that was really interesting as well, uh, just the way that these characters, the ones that are maybe more willing to accept things than, than others and why they might be willing to accept things and um, just the fact that they were, they're here under false pretenses and yet, like, these guys also end up being something that seems to be standing in the way of something way worse than just like possible communist insurgents, you know, um, which, you know, that, that's kind of the, 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 um, the feeling we get about this group, you know, that, that with the camp we've blown up. So I thought that was really just fascinating that we're kind of building these different layers. And I think it's a lot deeper than you would expect this type of movie to have anything to do with, you know, like we're, we're not just dealing with a shoot 'em up movie. We are dealing with characters who have to deal with the ramifications of being lied to. Um, but also then have to deal with dealing with a character that they can't even put in a category. Like there is no human category for what they're up against. So, you know, um, and, between them trying to escape and trying to kill this thing, it's like they could be all that stands between 
the human race maybe being annihilated, mm-hmm. you know? So, cause we, that's the other thing about it. Like this mission runs into this thing and we don't really know other than the fact that we see the spaceship at the beginning of the movie, but where this came, think this thing comes from, how many of them are there? I mean, yeah. I, and we just get, we just get that little bit of history uh, from, from the woman that they capture who said, you know, who says the old women, every so often we would find somebody killed like this, and the old women would say, only when mm-hmm. it's hot. And she says, and it's very hot right now. So that tying this idea of this has happened before, but we never had a name for it sort of thing. So, like, this is where the local legends came from about, uh, right. you know, just, uh, this is a terrible analogy, but like the chupacabra or something like that. It's like, th- there's some grain of truth somewhere in that story, but we just don't know what it is. Yeah. And... You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it. I love that they gave it that kind of weight to it and that it wasn't just, oh, this is the first time this has ever happened. It's like she is a legitimate reason for being afraid and that this has happened several times um, and that they've heard of all of these kind of mysterious and gruesome deaths. So I, I really loved that they gave that aspect to the story. But yeah, I think it's exactly what, you're saying as well, Matt, with they're having to deal with so many different things going wrong that they're learning about for the first time, that it's not just a a one and done shoot 'em up movie. It's got all of these emotional things happening where they're finding out they've been lied to. They're seeing that their friends have been killed in a really brutal way. And then they're having to learn that they're being hunted and not even by the gorillas that they were fighting, but something else completely different and then it's you know they have to deal with is this really an alien race and why is it here um i think that would be hard for anyone to accept at any point much less in the midst of all of that so i I like the the drama of that part of it the the thing that i that i enjoy and i i know this is sort of like jumping off but like i promise i'll come back to predator but like one of the things that i always loved about the sequel as as charmingly bad as it can be. But Predator 2 is exactly the way this series should have been, where we've set up now that the Predator is a thing that comes with heat waves, you know, that's sort of like laid in our brain. And so Predator 2 has absolutely nothing to do with any of these people. The only constant is the Predator. They change the situation, they change the characters, they change all of that stuff. And it's such a missed opportunity, I think, that the Predator franchise was never able to jump off from this point. But that being said, I think in retrospect, hindsight being 2020, this is really a standalone movie that never should have gotten any sort of sequel. Uh, there's one of the sequels, only one, that I think is really good and worth watching. But overall... I think that Predator also stands as a testament to the idea that sometimes it's good to just have the win and walk away, mm-hmm. right? Lightning, lightning doesn't always strike twice. The year before this, you have Aliens, and that is lightning in a bottle. Yes. You don't get a sequel to Alien that is like that. That's just that's just an oddball. That's your exception. That's your outlier right there. The idea of making a sequel to this movie was ill-conceived from the get-go in my opinion well i'll have to hear which one is the one you think is worth watching later i will yeah, tell you what later. is the one i'll <laughs> tell you later 
Okay. I'm, that's a tease. Okay. I'm letting uh, every, no, giving everybody I, a reason to listen. I uh, c- completely agree with you, though. I mean, I think um, one of the things that I've you know seen um, with all of these type of movies in general, and I appreciate you saying that, John, is like a lot of these movies in this time period got turned into franchises when at most you may get two. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're lucky if two is good. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, um, you know, Terminator two is better than Terminator one. But yeah. Kind of hard to top. It's never been topped. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. um Aliens better than yes. Alien. Never been topped. No matter what sequel it was. You know, so it's mm-hmm. like you got really lucky and then they just get greedy and then they just keep making them and it's like you know, but I agree with you, John. This is a movie that does feel like, uh, to me, in many ways, like it's like the Matrix sequel. Like it's like you did everything right in the first movie, just leave it alone, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, because yeah, you could answer more questions, I guess, about the Predator or whatever. But really, then you're demystifying things, and you it it it's just not going to be as special or good. So it's like just be okay with letting it go and be like, yeah, we made that one good movie. Let's, let's think of something else. Right. And usually I would say that, but in this case, I love all my children equally. <laughs> well, I, oh, all the predator movies, except for AVP Requiem, which is garbage. AVP Requiem is complete garbage. It Thank is you. hot garbage. It is, <laughs> it is, I, I, as about, okay, I know this is a detour, but like in AVP Requ- uh, Requiem, and I, I, I cite this all the time. I have, I have, um, an almost inexhaustible limit in terms of the amount of uh, gore that I like. I can watch a Tarantino movie like Hateful Eight, and I'm like, yeah, okay, well, head exploded, whatever. I can watch slasher flicks, and I'm like, eh, that looks so fake. But you got to handle threats to pregnant women or children extremely well. Mm-hmm. Like you got to handle that really gingerly. Like Newt being in danger in Aliens, I can handle that. That's well done. What they did in AVP Requiem is unforgivable. I actually stopped the movie, and uh, I did wind up finishing it because I was like, eh, you know, that was back when you had to rent a disc, and I was like, all right, fine, I, you know, I'll, I'll finish it. But I stopped the movie at that one point. You know the point, the point I'm talking about, yeah. Chrissy, right? I was just like, I can't do this. That, that's just not going to work for me. But anyway, um, I think that, that Predator is also – a movie where the formula is so simple. What makes this work is that it's so simple. And to your point, Christy, when you move forward, I get that you love all of your, your children equally, but <laughs> again, like my affection for Predator 2 is because of the fact that it it doesn't it does try to overcomplicate things. It has fun overcomplicating it. And so it's it's sort of like a cheesy thing I can still get into. I'll watch yeah. Predator 2 any day of the week. Yeah. Um, while acknowledging its flaws. But like Predator, like the, just the simple fact that you have in this film, everything going on and the characters do what I think characters have to do, which is they continually get smarter. They piece things together. I want to see somebody go on a journey of of figuring things out, not blundering into a win. Mm-hmm. So when we have our final confrontation between Schwarzenegger and the Predator, between Dutch and the Predator, I feel like he they take the time to piece everything together. Okay, it bleeds. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Oh, okay, we hurt it. It can't possibly do that. 
oh, okay, I know what type of technology it has. It has that masking technology. Oh, look, I'm covered in mud and it can't see me because it sees through heat. Great. So, like, he goes along on this quest and pieces things together, and that makes the last fight so much more believable because we've seen him gain the knowledge. It's not just blundering into the wind. Amen. Yeah, I think that's 100% something that I loved about the movie, and part of this was um, really enjoying the team. Uh, And, John, I was talking to you and, and Nick about this, but how much after seeing this, I could get, okay, now I really get more of the Bad Batch, you know, and, and like, who these characters are mm-hmm. uh, from the Clone Wars Bad Batch, and, and like, this is, like, the original Bad Batch, and so uh, I just, I really liked, um, I you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger is such an interesting actor in the sense that I think he can be really good, or he can just be okay. And I think here he's actually really good and he's at his strongest because they gave him a more complicated character to play with. You know, like he he is a guy who like you were saying like you can see the wheels processing. He's already a good tactician. He's already strong. He's already smart. But then he actually displays those characteristics throughout the movie to bring you to the end. So that he is a character that you believe can find a way to outsmart this thing um, because they're on his playing ground, right? Like, he's he's been in the jungles before, he's in one again, and he can make this happen. And it's not about his brawn, it becomes about his brain, which is a weird thing to say about an Arnold Schwarzenegger character. <laughs> but, like, he beats this thing with brains. Well, I And so I thought that that's the thing that really brought this character to life that and on top of the fact that he seems to kind of have a moral compass where some of the other guys might not but i mean he's he's generally uh, genuinely a a good character um so you are really rooting for this guy and you really like this guy and i thought that was really smart because it's not just about machismo and that's a difference between this movie and i think maybe other movies in this genre around this time like it he's a different better type of character speaking to schwarzenegger as an actor uh we you know everybody loves we all love making fun of arnold and stuff like that arnold's a brilliant guy he's i mean he figured out how to turn a mr olympia championship into a multi-billion dollar career so arnold schwarzenegger is smarter than i ever could be and much more driven (laughs) um and i i actually i'll toss this in here had the good fortune to actually meet him face to face in a non-celebrity setting one time when I was working, of all places, in a toy store. Uh, and oh, he came cool. in. Was yeah. this jingle all the way? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was actually buying a chess set for his son. And uh, he wa- the toy store was located near uh, where his in-laws lived. And um, he came in, and it, I was the only person that was like not completely frozen to try to talk to him. And I was, he was like, can I open this up and look at it? I was like, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever you do want. Whatever do whatever you want, do, sir. Do whatever the hell you desire right now, <laughs> you know. But anyway, um, he's a lot shorter in person than you'd think, too. But I can tell you that um, Predator, I think, is one of the – if Predator had not come along, his career flags and uh, doesn't 
he doesn't do as well with his non-Terminator career as people would like to remember. Because you have Terminator, which is his breakthrough. Bang, the Terminator. Mm -hmm. That is iconic. But, I mean, you have, like, Raw Deal. You have, uh, oh, I forget what the name of it was, but it started with an S or something. But, like, he, he came out with some absolutely terrible movies in the 80s. Twins. But pre- oh, Twins is cute. I saw that in the movie theater. Uh, but um, Predator is like one that elevated it. Like it, it was a necessary win. And if you look at it in terms of the spacing, it's like Terminator, struggle, struggle, struggle. Predator, struggle, struggle, struggle. Terminator 2. So like you remember those high points really, really well. So I think Predator... That's all to come back around and say, in terms of his performance, you can tell when Arnold is working with a director who's actually directing him and not letting him boss them around. Terminator and Terminator 2, nobody bosses around James Cameron. He bosses you around, and you can tell that Arnold is listening. Predator, you can tell Arnold is listening to John McTiernan. And I think that's the key difference between Schwarzenegger movies is he has to be in a movie where a director is willing to say, no, this is my movie and this is what you're going to do. And I think you have that here. Yeah, 100%. Because I think you can tell a huge difference between this and like his more silly movies that he did later, um, that it's he's really taking it seriously and learning every step along the way as an actor about this individual character. Um and I mean, of course, it wasn't a silly movie anyway, but I think it's exactly what you were saying, John, that he is being told this is how it's going to be. I want you to do it this way um, rather than walking all over everybody. But I think that he is absolutely incredible in this. I really like that they don't make anything easy for the character of Dutch. And like you said, that he doesn't stumble on something along the way it gets spread out and it's not immediate that the team has figured out what's going on and how to beat the predator right off the bat. Yeah. I, I really, uh, just, again, I appreciate what they do with the character and, you know, I also kind of love that, you know, by the end of it, you know, the guy looks drained. Mm -hmm. The guy looks like just exhausted and like beyond exhausted. And I think all of that, you know, again, he, I think Schwarzenegger just puts in one of his better performances in this movie, which is strange to say. Predator, who, who would have thought? <laughs> um, but it's it's good. It's I mean, that's one of the things I think that made me enjoy this movie more is that because this is not just that kind of routine Arnold Schwarzenegger performance. Uh, and the character isn't a, a kind of... A, you know, there are some cliches to this character. But he also transcends those cliches, I mm-hmm. think. And that's the thing that r- really helps the movie. And I think part of that is just having all of these different other characters as a part of his, you know, crew around him um, that he's able to play off of and that they're able to play off of him. And I think, you know, it's a strong lineup of guys. I mean, you've got Bill Duke and Jesse Ventura and Shane Black and Sony Landham. And I mean, these guys are just, they're icons in the sense of like, you know, they're, they're, they're like, you've seen them in so many different things. Um, but here, you know, they just, 
I don't know. They're the, everybody just plays their role really well. Yes, uh, but I will say that Jesse Ventura at this point is uh, a pro wrestler in search of a great role, <laughs> and he gets it here. Jesse Ventura was Jesse the Body Ventura back then, and even wrestling fans like myself, it was like. Jesse the Body Ventura's in a movie? What the hell is that about? And then you see it, you're like, yeah, Jesse Ventura's in a movie. <laughs> but I really think, especially with this rewatch, because I, you know, an excuse to rewatch Predator, okay. Uh, Bill Duke has always been the soul of this movie for me because he's the guy yeah. that that reaction still gives me goosebumps when Jesse Ventura gets shot and he lets out that primal yell. And he's like, oh! And he just picks up that minigun and just clear cuts the forest. Like that moment is so charged. It's so incredible. And it's all because of him. Because he gives the character this, this, that silent menace. Anytime. That silent menace. This guy's really tightly wound. He's really got it under control. There's something inside of him. And then when he lets loose that yell, you just know that something major has happened. Like he has snapped. He ain't coming back from this. And I think that that is just one of those defining moments of the movie. Even though the transfer that I watched, I have to criticize. I don't know what transfer you guys watched. I watched the version that's on iTunes. But there were certain moments where some of the shots just got grainy and blurry in between cuts. And I just will never... It drives me nuts how they keep releasing editions of this movie. I remember with the first Blu-ray edition or something, they they did too much um, too much digital smoothing, and so everybody looked waxy. So I didn't have that in this version that I saw, but there were certain things where, like when Dutch jumps off of the waterfall, all of a sudden it got really grainy, and when mm-hmm. when uh, when Bill Duke shoots the minigun, all of a sudden it got really grainy, and I was like, what? Like, why is it so inconsistent from cut to cut? So I honestly think that a lot of the remastering with Predator, if there's a really good 4K remaster of it, I will snap it up in a heartbeat because I really want to see some color correction and some attention given uh, to the shots in here. Yeah, I have to echo what you said as well, that Billy Duke is kind of steals the show aside from Arnold because, I mean, you really feel in this... Aside from that one scene with the gun, um, how much he misses his friend when especially when he's sitting there by himself on the night watch talking and talking about memories he had with him. Um, And then when he, you know, takes one less drink from his flask and lays it with his friend's body. You can tell that it's not just, oh, I'm angry because somebody on my team died. It's like, no, this was my person in this group, my best friend. And now he's gone right in front of me. And I don't know what to do about it other than fight. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. loved his character. I also loved, um, you know, he is kind of running off after the predator and he's finally snapped. You know, uh, I thought he just plays it perfectly. Um, And so I, I... I really loved his character and his characterization. Um, And I think Bill Duke just kind of plays it perfectly because he kind of has that soft whisper of a voice when he wants to, too. So he's just like super intense. And yeah, the moment he snaps, it's, it, it, it makes you feel it because the whole other part of the movie, he's just kind of like, he's very calm, you know, and he's, he's talking in that kind of like silent, calm whisper of a voice that he can have. And, 
then yeah, it's great. Um, John, I, I it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I think on iTunes, it's actually the 4K edition because um, I know there's a 4K edition, um, but I wonder hmm. if it has anything to do with um, just iTunes compression. It, it may because I yeah because I, I was just streaming it. Yeah, so it same might here. Have, um, um, I, I think on Amazon the the 4K is about sixteen bucks, so not a bad deal. Uh, you know, if you're yeah, yeah if pick you're that up. Pick it up. Yeah, but yeah, um, you know, I, I think you know, I love all of the other characters, but you know, obviously the the one that stands out next is Carl Weathers. To me, is one of the the other major characters in the mm-hmm. film, and you know, his Dylan is just so fascinating because he's just so swarmy in the in the beginning. Like he's just like you don't trust him, really, and uh, but I like where they kind of bring his character in the end, you know, so that he becomes this guy yeah. who, um, is with the rest of them and just trying to survive, um, and um, you know, especially once he believes because he's seen, I love that. I mean, you know, and his. Getting his arm shot off, you know, and still trying to kill it mm-hmm. was just right. fantastic. And I mean, obviously, he's ripped to the core, just like all of them are. Uh, and yeah, he's he's good. He's really good. And uh, I again, I think this is a role where the director uh, John McTiernan, I think he challenged Carl Weathers to be a better actor too. I I agree. And you got to keep in mind too, Carl Weathers at this point. Uh, spoilers, Apollo Creed dies in Rocky Four, and so Carl Weathers suddenly realizes that that paycheck dried up, so he's got to find something else, <laughs> and so I think he's really, this is an audition reel for him, where it's like, okay, you can hire me for other things, guys, I'm not I'm not just Apollo Creed. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I love uh, Dylan's journey in this, because it is that, it's played so perfectly, it's, it is a stereotypical sort of uh, jackass gets his heart by the end and so he has a noble death but it's done so well that uh because in the beginning you see that he and dutch have a relationship in the middle their relationship is broken because dylan has become a company man and then at the end you get reminded not reminded but you get shown why Dylan and Dutch would have had a relationship to begin with. This is the real Dylan. This is the guy at the end is the one who was the real him before the power and the corruption got to him. And so even though he dies, he has a redemptive arc. And I think that also makes this movie a lot more interesting because movies in this genre, in any genre really, really seem instead to wallow in the idea of giving somebody like Dylan comeuppance instead of an arc so that you sympathize and uh, and pity him when he does die. Usually it's more centered around mm-hmm. the idea of, ah, that, that guy deserved it. But in this one, it's like, oh, no, no, he, he oh, I wanted him to live. You know, like it, it's that sort of thing where it, it ta- he takes you on an actual emotional journey. I'm glad you mentioned that to the the emotional journey aspect of it, John, because that that's what I think the most when I see Dylan is that, yeah, in the beginning, he's totally the company man. And he's questioning Dutch about, well, why didn't you take that other job? And Dutch is like, well, because that's not me. Yeah. And uh, and it comes back to bite Dylan. But he realizes once Dutch tells him, oh, we're not getting out of this. 
mm-hmm. that it's like, oh, it's not like, oh, there's somebody there on standby all the time who's going to come and rescue me from this situation. No, this time that could not happen. And um, it, it's it's crazy seeing him actually process that finally and then stepping up and being the real him and deciding to help people. Um, I thought was a great way to take the character and not just have him die out of pity. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think, you know, really makes this work and a a lot of these movies uh, at this time period, when they do it right, it really, it really does. It works. But the fact that the predator is kept hidden for so long that it really creates that suspense so that once it's finally revealed, you know, it, it it's kind of lived up to everything you're thinking in your mind because this is an awful, creepy design, um, you know, and it's creepy enough before it takes his mask off. And so I think all of that really works. And I think also part of the thing is that the optical effects that they're doing to make it invisible still work. Um, you know, it it, mm-hmm. it it doesn't ever, it never really pulled me out because what they're doing is this really cool optical effect where they're overlaying like uh, two different lenses of the same scene. So it gives that effect that you can kind of like see it moving like that. And it's just, it's really smart. Uh, it, I'm, I'm sure... Mm-hmm. It's got to be time, you know, time suck to make this happen. Um, but it 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 looks good mm-hmm. still, and I think that's the thing about this movie is that for the most part, most of the effects, if not all of them, look really good, and so you're not pulled out of this movie thinking, oh, well, that just looks stupid. Um, I think that the work with the the actual predator itself is is one of the things that makes the movie a standout because it still holds the test of time. Yes. And I think that it's good that you point out the design because number one, that optical effect with the the you know, the way it masks itself, even if you were to poke at it and be like, oh, well, that's kind of dated. We could do that better with X, Y, or Z method or something like that. It's explainable in your own head as, oh, well, you know, I mean, it's the... It's light bending technology, so of course it's not going to be perfect. It's just like when you see the distortion mm-hmm. in Star Trek Three. Well, yeah, it's not going to be perfect 100% of the time. But... um be grateful for the Predator, uh, for the final design, because it did not look like that originally. And you can find pictures mm. out there. It is <laughs> the original Predator design was not good. And they were talking about using, uh, when it was revealed, like this red animated overlay on it. And uh, I, I think just about everybody knows this, but uh, just in case anybody doesn't, the Predator was almost played by the muscles from Brussels, Jean-Claude Van Damme when he was trying to break into Hollywood mm-hmm. and boy, would that have been a really different predator too, because he would have been about a foot and a half shorter on top of everything else. But wow, what a different predator that would have been. That would have been. And so thank goodness he got fired for being a, a jerk to the producer. Yeah. Apparently he was not only um, too short compared to the other stars of the film he would have been fighting against, but he complained all the time that his face was not going to be mm-hmm. seen and that the suit was too hot. Yes. Yes, and that he also he also wanted to do more uh, spinning uh, back kicks and stuff like that. And they were like, "That that's you know what, kid, we're going to redesign this. Just 
Go We're home. going in a different <laughs> direction. It's you, not us, yep. you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. The other thing here, too, I mean, exactly. this is just another testament to the Stan Winston Studios. Um, I mean, because like you said, John, you know, they, they redesigned this creature who was originally kind of be, uh, you know, disproportionate, kind of like have these large yellow eyes and a dog-like head and wouldn't be as agile. And I think what they created is so much creepier because it's human-ish, but it has much more strength. You know, it has this hideous, creepy, like, god-awful face. You know, it 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 it's just the stuff of nightmares, but in a way that, you know, doesn't feel so stupid that you don't, like, buy it. And then, of course, again, when it takes the mask off, everything is so real because it's done practically that you buy it still like um and i'm not you know i'm not a person who's against cgi but i mean this is so fascinating to me is that you know we're seeing many movies kind of go back to this kind of work because it still works so well and and then you can do the thing where you augment it digitally and you never know the difference you know like so you and i think that's the thing that just makes this so special is that when you unmask your your big villain, your big bad, um, that it still holds up and it doesn't look stupid. This is the reason for me to watch this movie every single time because I love the design of the Predator itself. And I love all of the characteristics they gave it as a character for how his technology works and um, how his blood is fluorescent and um, his instincts, you know, and that he has principles like not to fight with an unarmed person. It's for sport. So he wants to actually fight against a worthy opponent. I think all of these things that make up this character fascinate me. Um, and then especially the design to a point where it's like, <laughs> I know it may sound silly to some people, but to me, it's like it warms my heart when I finally see its face because I'm like, yes, finally, the coolest face <laughs> ever. You know, I I think I think it's so cool how they made the mandibles work on its face the way that they do. Um and you can see people now doing professional or I say professional, but building their own costumes to dress up as Predator. And so I, it just really blows me away every time. Well, you also have to love that. Uh, I, I think that the reveal works because, number one, McTiernan, when he's at the top of his game, is unbeatable in terms of the build of suspense and action. And, you know, Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October. We'll overlook Last Action Hero. That wasn't his fault. Uh, and then you mm-hmm. can go to Die Hard with a Vengeance, which I think is just... You can ignore Die Hard uh, to Die Harder, thank God, and just go to Die Hard with a Vengeance, and you're like, wow, okay, the master is back sort of thing. But like, not just in terms of that build, but something that that uh, that especially action films really fumble a lot, and this is one of the things that gets under my skin about Marvel movies a lot, is you have to choose your zingers properly. They have to be well-timed. They have to be well-chosen. And the moment when he, the Predator, and it's this huge build, you know, pulls the one hose off, pulls the second hose off, pulls off the other thing, big reveal of this hideous face, and Arnold's line afterward, which we, since this is a family show, we can't say, is so spot-on perfect to relieve that tension, but then also... 
play into the predator's roar of rage and of, you know like it plays so perfectly because the predator lets go of this roar of like i'm going to enjoy killing you with my bare hands you pain in my butt and it's so great <laughs> because it is one of those things it's which again that's why i mentioned die hard is die hard is another movie where those zingers are timed so perfectly done so right that it actually winds up adding to and being a payoff to the tension instead of that de rigueur okay it's been seven minutes we need somebody to say something smart alecky okay all right now let's Mm -hmm. move on to the action sort of thing so you're saying it's not a marvel movie yes i am yes okay yes i am (laughs) <laughs> predator's yes. not the hero <laughs> oh yeah and one of the things that yeah i love about this is that you know you you don't feel any sympathy for the predator right they're not trying to do any of that junk uh which i i think works really well here um i one of the things that stood out to me about the movie was um seeing that this was alan Silvestri mm-hmm. doing the soundtrack because I haven't heard Alan Silvestri do a soundtrack like this since this movie came out. I feel like, like he's so, uh, I mean, you know, when you think of like his Avengers work and, and that kind of stuff, like, you know, this is a completely different type of soundtrack. Um, it is rambunctious and sometimes just kind of uncomfortable. And, and I think it works perfectly for the movie. So that's one of the things that just really stood out to me watching this. Yeah, no, so Silvestri is a, a terrific composer when he's allowed to sort of be on his own devices sort of thing. And I, I think his Avengers theme is great. I really, I do, I love his work with the Marvel movies and stuff like that, but I do enjoy this more. This is, like, I have trouble really sort of recalling the Avengers theme. It's it's there, it's interesting. But this, you you put this on, I'm like, oh, hey, Predator's on. And I can go run into the other room. I know exactly what's going on at that moment. Mm-hmm. And he's apparently the only composer that worked on. Two oh, really? Of Which the is the other movies. one that he worked on? Um, I think I thought it was Predator Two. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, he returned for the sequel, making him the only composer to have scored more than one film in either Alien or Predator wow. series. That's crazy. No kidding. No kidding. Well, I can tell you that uh, his work in in Predator is terrific, and I can, uh, you know, I, I'll go back and listen to his his score again for Predator Two because that one is just <laughs> that's great schlocky fun. So, but uh, yeah, he, uh, um, I think he just really hits it out of the park yeah. with this. He just creates an iconic score that you can listen to without the movie and be perfectly cool with it. And it makes sense, too. It's funny. Maybe it sounds kind of silly, but it's reminiscent of, like, gunfire to me sometimes. Yep. Um, so I think it kind of pairs well with a military-esque movie. Yeah. You know, no, absolutely. Uh, John, it reminds me, because we just uh, recorded for Aggressive Negotiations talking about the score for uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And it reminds me of the final saber duel, you know, with those strikes, you know. Oh, I could see that. You know, it has that that same type of feeling. Yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, But no, so I'm really interested. I know you guys love this movie. Um, But so, you know, where are you then in rating Predator? This is a tough one. Because my heart 
I know where my heart is with this movie. Right. <laughs> my heart is this is five stars. And so I'm going to give it that five stars because this movie is a warm, snuggly blanket to me. I could turn this on. <laughs> and a if John I'm Bill's warm, you know, snuggly blanket. Predator. Yeah. <laughs> Christy, uh, virtual high five. Here you go. Um, yeah. I can tell you, like, I could turn this movie on and just everything in the world. I When I rewatch it here, everything in the world evaporated. It's just gone. I'm just I'm just having a great time and I'm just like, yeah, and like I know everything that's coming, but I'm still thrilled by the Predator and I'm still thrilled by Bill Duke and, and Carl Weathers and everybody. I, I mean, artistically, you know, if I'm gonna be that guy, I'll be like, ah, you know what? But it's not really about quote unquote anything too terribly deep and so, you know, you don't have like these big world blah blah blah. But that to me this is one of those movies where I got to walk away from that. So I got to put it in the four and a half, five star range easy because I, I don't know how you can't love this movie because it, where it completely utterly seals it for me every single time, everything else that it does right is the fact that it gives every character, except strangely Arnold doesn't do this, but during the credits, Everybody gets a moment where they get to look at the screen and break the fourth wall and acknowledge you. It's like a bow. I love that yeah. so much. I still don't know why Arnold didn't do it. But the fact that like Bill Duke, you know, he tips the flask at you and Jesse Ventura spits and he looks at you and he gives you a smile and everybody's like, you feel like, yeah, guys, this was a great time together. Let's let's have fun next time sort of thing. And so, I, you know, yeah, my heart says five. And so I'll go with five. Yeah, I think I have to do the same because as much as I would like to kind of give it a tick here or there, um, it, ultimately it's something that I could watch many more times over and not have a problem with it. Um, and it's something that I'll always share with my dad. And I'm going to call him tomorrow and tell him that we talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it, it just... It's funny to say that a movie like this could be like a feel good movie, but it, the nostalgia for me, as well as the, um, just like getting into the grit of things kind of movie really makes me get into it every time. And it's funny because I also even looked out into my backyard. We have a ton of kudzu and I'm like, I could totally put some mud on my face and like get down and like do the <laughs> army crawl back there. And <laughs> I want to see Christy in her backyard oh! with the Going, big torch. This time it's personal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Do it, Christy. Um, <laughs> yeah. For me, I think, I think this is, uh, a good four-star movie. Um, you know, I, I was really in, impressed by it. Um, I didn't expect this. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I wasn't actually really sure what to expect coming in, but I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, and um, it's a movie that I would go back and, and watch again, you know? And so for me, that's that's definitely a hallmark of a, uh, of a good movie. And so I'm glad that we talked about it. I had a blast getting a chance to do it. And so, um, yeah, uh, John, thanks for joining us. I'm really glad you got an opportunity to share your love of um, Predator with us. And um, if uh, if anybody you know wants to find you online and maybe talk about their love of Predator with you, where can they find you? Well, first, I will answer Christie's question as to which sequel I think is the only true worthy successor 
uh, in the Predator mm-hmm. line, and that would be Predators, starring Adrian Brody, which I thoroughly <sighs> enjoyed. And I thought, in terms of being an actually well-constructed film, you can ignore the other sequels, watch that, and be perfectly happy. Uh, although I do, again, I have such an affinity for Predator 2. I have a, like a whole backstory with that one. But like, you know, Predator 2 is B-movie sci-fi glory. And so, you know, have fun with that one. But you can find me online as Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, I am out there on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and on Letterboxd giving reviews of movies like Predator. And you can also find me occasionally blogging over at KesselJunkie.com. And then over on the Nerd Party, regularly appearing on Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast with, uh, with, with you, Matt. And it's a pretty good podcast. If I oh, say well, so thank myself. You. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's no, <laughs> it's no sabers and spells, but thank you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, and you can find me as well at Bespin Bell on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, I'm in the Babel Conference as well. And when I'm not on the 602 Club with Matt, I also do a show, like John said, called Sabers and Spells with my friend Teresa Delgado. And then I also do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax Network, where myself and five other women from around the world talk about Star Wars. And I do a five-minute segment once a month on the Star Wars Report called Fashion in Five about men's and women's Star Wars fashion. And you can find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, Vero, under the Matt Rushing 2 uh, I am here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. In fact, we have a new episode coming out very soon. Uh, and then you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network, not only doing aggressive negotiations, but I'm also doing Outpost with Dre Kaufman as we're talking about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, uh, you can find me doing Cinema Stories with my good friend Courtney as we talk about films, but through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And get to the chopper! <laughs> <laughs>